So one of the quirks about what I do, right, is that I spend a lot of time writing and rewriting my phrases, as proven by the fact this is my third go at this now. I am a big rewriter. I write things a hundred times. However, right, I'm absolutely over the moon and delighted and excited to welcome the one and only Mr. Dallas Stamford, a man who seemingly can come up with things that would take me weeks, both on the fly. I don't mean, this is the thing, right, this is the thing I really want to know more than anything else. People listening will no doubt, once you hear Dallin's voice, instantly know it. Even if you don't know his name, you'll instantly know a voice. You'll have heard him doing MLR. You're about to hear him on the World Cup. You'll have heard him all around commentating on basically every competition there is. And you will know him instantly and his incredible turn of phrase. Um, Dallin, like, nice to have you. How are you doing? How are things? Well, firstly, you're more dangerous than climate change, my friend. It is uh, yes! it's so great to be here. Yes. And I'm so happy we got a chance to do this. I've obviously been following your brilliant work over the years. Oh, and uh, yeah, I'm so glad we were able to connect. I was going to bring that one yeah. line up. That is my favorite Dallin Stanford line ever. <laughs> is Corbus Reinach, he's more dangerous than climate change. And the thing is, you can tell listening to that, that that was just a genuine on the fly thing. That's what we are. Well, honestly, we are both such big fanboys here. Oh, well, that's brilliant. And you know what's so funny is like half the time it's on the fly and the other half, you you know you're going to be in a big game and you know you're going to be in a big mm. situation. Um, and particularly when it comes to sevens because there's a lot of tries being scored. But you can think of some things ahead of time, which is great. So so not just like a journalist who does think about some things ahead of time, but then mm. it is tricky because you need to remember what you've thought about and yeah. also not botch up the line. I've had times where I've thought of a brilliant line and then I've forgotten it halfway through. So yeah, those things happen too, you know, so you've got both sides of the coin, but yeah, extremely blessed to be in the broadcast world. When we had Claire Thomas on a few months ago, she said she has this worry sometimes that if you use a line, they think oh, I've wasted it on a nothing play. You want to use them on something that comes on the highlights reel at least. Yeah. So that's a great point. So I actually, I thought I had a nice line. It was during the MLR and uh, the New England Free Jacks mm. went 80 meters, scored a beautiful try for turnover and it was a wonderful play. And I used the line that I'd like pre pre prepped and everything, and then the referee called it back for a forward pass. So no, no. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that happens. <laughs> and then you can't use it again. You can't. That'll be no. weird, you know. So, and the thing you've is, you've got to wait at least a year or two. That's as fans, as commentators, as anything. We've all done that thing where we've taken the piss out of a player for celebrating a try that's then been disallowed. You've <laughs> had that, Dallin. You've had that. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. In fact, I want to say in one season happened to me twice. And then I was like, okay, hold on. I need to somehow just look around and see if it's undoubtedly a try. Then I can use something. Otherwise, <laughs> just go. You need a TMO in the commentary box yeah, to just go, that's right. yeah, that's a try. You can use the line. Exactly. Or look, the other time is, you know, so I come up with some stuff and I tell my wife every now and again, and she just looks at me going, doesn't make any sense. And then I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> is it, is it me or is it her, you know, with our different American, South African humor, I, British uh, American, I don't know. <laughs> so is that way, this is an interesting thing to get into, I think as well, because you had a fascinating career and I think a fascinating life leading into this. How do you end up in the commentary box? What leads you, was it something you always wanted to do? Something you always wanted to leave a go? What leads you into taking it up? Yeah, so it is quite an interesting one because I didn't actually, growing up, I've always been a massive talker. My wife would, I mean, my mom, <laughs> yeah, my, my wife can't get a word in, but my mom was the one who was really just the, she had so much enthusiasm. She loved sport. If she could play rugby back in the day in South mm. Africa, she would have, she would have probably played for the Springboks. And so 
I've always grown up around, you know, some entertaining and being funny and that sort of stuff. So that's yeah. kind of a little bit of the background. And when I play touch rugby with my mates in South Africa, like every Sunday we'd go and play at the park nearby, I would commentate the game just because I <laughs> love the communication, right? And so there wouldn't necessarily be one-liners, but you know, some humor here and there. So cut to when I was in the 2011 Rugby World Cup, I was working with USA Rugby at the time as a media manager. The commentators came and said, hey, we need some pronunciation. And then I was thinking to myself, oh, wow. These, these people are flown here to commentate the game. They paid professionals to talk about it. Mm. That, that's a dream job. So I didn't even, I mean, I knew there was commentary on games, but I didn't know it was a viable option. So after 2011, yeah. I was like, this is interesting. How do I get into that? Because for my normal rugby club, I would take my flip-flop and I'd interview my teammates as a, for fun, <laughs> as a joke. And so, and I filmed a few of those things. So people do laugh these days that know me from my club rugby days were like, Dylan, you were always going around taking a kitchen spatula and interviewing us after a, you know, a New Zealand <laughs> South African game and stuff like that. Now you're actually doing it for real. So that's kind of where the the, the passion came into it. Uh, and then I got an opportunity in 2012 in 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 the US um, in a place mm. Trinity Park where the US have played many games. So I started sideline, and then they're like, "Well, we want to try you in the booth." I had no experience, no broadcasting background, um, limited vocabulary as well. So that was uh, wow. tricky. And then yeah. once I got in the booth. The analyst role was a bit strange for me, but awkward. But uh, I tried to play by play role, and that felt more natural to talk nonstop during a game. So you kind of built into it then. From you know, you were a very successful player. You know, you did you did all right for yourself, I think, and then end up in the the comms position, then moving into a different sort of comms. So it's yes. very much jumping around. You've kind of taken most of the jobs in rugby at this point. Yes, you, you're spot on. So, you know, my, my passion has been the sport of rugby since I was a young kid. Mm. So growing up in South Africa, you know, supporting, you know, the Springboks. And then, you know, 1995, I think was a big uh, uh, life moment for so many South Africans, um, particularly, you know, when apartheid ended and Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa. I, mm. as, I was a 16-year-old kid in South Africa and didn't quite know which way the country would go and how things would turn out. And it was anxious yeah. times for sure. Um, you, you didn't know, you know, how how the past would be reversed. And Nelson Mandela, you know, Invictus does a, does a good job initially, not with the rugby portion, but a good job <laughs> with the political situation because it was tense mm. times. And and the fact that, you know, Madiba used rugby as that vehicle to unite, unite people and all South Africans, that was truly remarkable. So that stuck with me as a young kid. So always passionate mm. about the game and eventually got a chance to come to the U.S. on a holiday after I finished playing rugby at University of Cape Town. I finished studying. And I was going to do it for six months. That was my goal as a 25-year-old. And uh, 20 years later, here I am still in the US. And, and you're right. It, it's, I've done every job there is, particularly on the media side of things. Um, you know, I've got a chance to play sevens for the USA because my wife mm. was American and that sort of thing. I didn't know you could play sport for another country back then. I just thought, oh, mm. you, you know, you're from South Africa. That's your country. Um, but because I'd never played for the Blitzbox and um, I'd been playing here for three or four years, I got a chance to do that. And it's funny because um, we're going to do a game later today, obviously, but Taku Nguenia was a part of that early group. So it was, he was from yeah. Zimbabwe. Um, yeah. So we're Chris Wiles from England. And so we were like, so it was, it was a, a lot of American players, but then we had a few expats that had either qualified through, you know, their parents uh, through marriage or, or, or residency. And so we, we had a, a, about six of the 12 on our very first few tours for the USA sevens. We would run out to the field. They'll play born in the USA and we look around and I'll be like, hold on, only six, only six of you were born in the USA. Yeah, <laughs> other six came over on the boat. So, yeah, it was fascinating times to be involved with the game. And, and I'm so blessed with the opportunity. I don't think if I stayed in South Africa, I would be commentating at a Rugby World Cup because there are a lot of South African commentators um, because mm. uh, having played sevens for the USA at the time, World Rugby uh, would wanted a South African voice with 
playing experience and also somebody that knew the North American landscape because Canada and the mm. USA are obviously, you know, are, are big markets that World Rugby, you know, need to keep in touch with. Do you find as well, Dallin, so you obviously have commentated on MLR and, you know, general kind of like USA international rugby games that are broadcast, you know, for US audiences. Do you find that commentating on something like that, uh, you have to approach it differently to something like World Feed or, you know, with World Rugby or Rugby World Cup or that kind of thing, where it's to an international audience? Because I think that when I've watched a lot of MLR, I think that a lot of the commentators, yourself included, are very good at educating audiences who have come from other sports who need to learn the laws of rugby and, you know, the players mm. and so on. Do you find that you have to approach it differently from a commentary position? Yeah, so that that is a fascinating point. I suppose I have done less of that compared to the other commentators. Now, a lot of the other commentators, mm. if they're American, they know all the American sports. So for them, it's very quick to be able to say that's very similar to, and then they bring up whatever mm, sport okay. they're used to or they know. My background is really only in rugby. So, and I've obviously followed some of the American sports. So for me, I think it's a bit more difficult, but my take is to explain what is going on, but don't dumb it down too, too much because the audience mm. will pick it up once they know what's going on. So my father-in-law who, who's American came to watch rugby for the very first time at sevens. And he didn't know obviously what was going on, but he picked it up pretty quickly because he was like, oh, I see. They've got the yeah. ball. They just got to get over that line and put it down. So once you explain a couple of, of, of you know, uniqueness things to rugby, particularly the set piece and things like that, um, people can understand it. But it is a different story. I, I When I work with my analyst, I tell them a lot of the time that, you know, when the play is live, I will generally be calling what's going on, the live action. So it's quite hard to explain and call it at the same time here and there you can. But the analyst role, they've got time. They're watching the replay and then they can really go into the nitty gritty and the details. And I think that balance works quite nicely uh, when you want to keep the current audience engaged at no rugby. And then you want to draw on new people that are turning on for the very first time. And they're going, wow, this looks rough because they haven't got any pads. But it's funny because ironically, American football is, you know, more dangerous because you're wearing a helmet, you're diving in head first, and you're not you know, mm. looking after your, your, your body that way. So that's always a fascinating conversation when I have with um, American parents. Are you a commentator who prepares a lot in advance? Or do you just kind of, once you know the teams, once you know who's playing, kind of feel it out and work it out, in a, you know, once the day comes and once the game appears before you? Yeah, so another good question. I am an, a, such a pre pre preparing nerd. Uh, you know, I have to be. <laughs> we have that in common. So, so, exactly. So the, I, I feel like even with the World Cup coming up, because I haven't had a lot of time, I've been doing other rugby events mm. to prepare for it, I feel a little anxious because everyone's like, no, you're going to be fine. You've done it before. I go, no, no, I understand that. But I like to really go down you know, the rabbit hole and, and prep because what people often don't realize is that as a play-by-play -play commentator, you do need to know the largest, larger uh, landscape of the tournament itself, the, mm. all the teams playing. You need to know not only the match 23, but if there have been people missing out, you need to know the referee, the officials' background, the stadium, yeah. and then the history between the two teams. So my notes, I, I actually go in the US, I go to a place where they print legal sheets of paper because they're much, much, <laughs> much taller because I have so much information. <laughs> and then I have these manila folders that, that my other co-commentators like, cheapers, you're so organized that I stick all the pages too. So each manila folder can take four sheets of paper, right? And I've got so many notes that you never know when you're going to need something or use something. And so I was always impressed by listening as a youngster to the commentary when, let's say, Brian Abana scored. They'd be like, oh, that's his you know, ninth try. He equals this person who scored that in 1943 or whatever it was. I'm like, well, mm. how do they know that? Well, they obviously get, you do get supplied with information. And then a lot of the time you need to go research information if it's, you know, talking about his, the names of his two or three kids or his wife and things like that. So preparing, I think, is the most important part of commentary so you can set yourself up for success.
What's like the, the thing you've desperately wished you could get in and you couldn't somehow cram in? Do you ever find yourself going like, oh, but can I mention that he once worked in an ice cream factory? Can I cram <laughs> that in somewhere? So what I'll say is it is interesting because you do different competitions in different leagues mm. and some things are uh, some things are a bit more casual, right? So I find sevens to be obviously colorful. So I would I assume that the commentary could reflect that. Um, mm. I've been told off sometimes in the early years commentating sevens that you know you 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 you're trying to be too funny. So I do understand that you don't want to be cheesy. But hey, if it if it is genuinely funny, I think why not bring it out? It's sevens. They're going to be mm. three hundred tries that weekend. Go for it. So yeah. I've I've had to I've had to work in like trying to be yourself, but at the same time be genuine to obviously the, the people that are that are that are employing you. For for like mm. a fifteenth test match, you're right. Obviously, a lot more serious. But every now and again, I think it's nothing wrong with throwing in a little, you know, uh, one liner here and there, or you know, he's as small as the, uh, the the buttons on a BlackBerry. Just something here and there, which is, <laughs> you know, which is humorous and funny, and like you're not yeah. distracting from from the game. It's a it's a major game. You understand that. So it depends the level you're doing it, where you bring it in. So for example, the Rugby Town Sevens I was there recently. They give me full license. They like said, Dylan, have as much fun as you want. So there, almost everybody has a nickname. And so the, the commentary will be like, it'll be instead of saying, you know, Owen has the ball, it'll be like, oh, the chicken smoothie has the ball passing out to the <laughs> rugrat, you know, to the giraffe. So stuff like that. So people watching are like, who are these people? But then you bring their real names in here and there. I remember when um, the uh, USA played the All Blacks uh, last year, year before, when it was like 100 yes. odd points scored. And I remember you were calling that and um, through the majority of the game, with it being, you know, quite a huge occasion, important test match, that it was, you know... It, as as you would do any kind of like more serious commentary, and then by the time the All Blacks got to seventy points, I think that was when you kind of realised we've got a license to play with this a little bit. And I can't remember the exact quote that you threw out, but you mentioned some kind of like film or an actor or something as Bowden Barrett ran in a seventy meter try, and it was like, yes, okay, let's enjoy this now. Let's enjoy the last twenty <laughs> minutes of this game. It's infectious, yes. man. Exactly. Yes, I actually remember that because um, uh, uh, I was just going through a couple of old games uh, here and there just to kind of uh, check some pronunciations. That's the other thing. Pronunciations mm. are key. That's that's oh, yeah. huge. And approaching yeah. a World Cup is a nightmare, I would say, because you're doing 15 of the 20 countries. Um, but I think that and one. Is, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a scary. Award. Not even Wes Craven could have directed that. It's frightening for the All Blacks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's very good. That's very good. That ties you back to the Katara Masashima Freddy Krueger line as well. Yeah, so so you know what's interesting about that one? So again, there are a handful that you do think of ahead of time because it is to come mm. up with stuff like that spur of the moment. I mean, that's obviously, you know, genius people do that, not me. Mm. But I had that one in my back pocket. And so you talk about using the line at the right moment. So in that context of that game, Japan had to score uh, their four tries to get a bonus point mm. to ensure they weren't to the quarterfinals. So it finally happened at minute 81. So I had that in my back pocket. I could, and then I, if it didn't happen, obviously then that line would just be saved for a future line. Um, but what was tricky about that was the stadium audience is so loud as well that in, in that stadium, mm. they didn't isolate the, the commentary sound. So it, it all blends in. And most people probably don't even hear that line. So I felt like, oh, shucks, it's a little bit wasted because you've, you've come up with something that you think might work for that moment. But the, the sound is so loud at the stadium, you could barely hear it, hear it. But hey, what, what, a, what a great occasion, you know? But I also think that is like, I watched that game in uh, Kobe Bay in Japan, in one of the fan zones. And so there was no commentary on there. I yes, watched yes. it on a bench with three elderly Japanese women who didn't really understand rugby, and it was great. And I was wearing an Argentina shirt because England were playing Argentina early that day, and obviously, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and they kept trying to speak to me in Spanish, and I don't speak any Spanish. It was a the whole thing was a nightmare. But I, when I see that, so I watched like 
try without commentary at all. When I see that try, when I think about that game, I think about your line rather than about where I was. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, also, by the way, great, great setup where you were. And that's, I think, the beautiful thing about rugby, right, is that you can yeah. go around the world, you'll find rugby people, and the game does unite and bring people together. Um, but but that that's um, really appreciate that. So great. It does give me a little bit of pressure, though. I say now because now people are like, what are you going to come up with this time? So I'm like, oh no, that you know, we've I, exposed I mean, you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just more Wes Craven stuff. Phone. Move on to Screen now. You know, <laughs> there's four Screen movies to pull from. There we go. More dangerous than any of the ghost faces. <laughs> Scary. That's and it's also like, <laughs> it's the great thing about World Cups in particular, I think, as well, because everyone is together. You know, like yes, rugby can bring people together, and it literally does once every four years. And I think it's part of why I, you know, I'm, I'm recording this in. I am in France as we speak. You're heading out next week. Will you're also heading out? Next I'm heading week. out next week. Yes. Yeah. Um. So we'll all be in Paris at the same time, I guess. Um. But how are you set for the World Cup? How are you feeling ahead of it? I think that's the important thing. Obviously, we'll, you know, we'll get to the 2007 game. You, fine. But yeah, how are you feeling ahead of the 2023 tournament? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, number one, so blessed and excited to be able to, you know, be involved in the world feed. So that that is another dream come true. And mm. I've got eleven pool games to do, uh, which is fascinating. Nice. And there's, you know, a bunch of different fixtures, a bunch of different permutations. But overall, I love the fact that there's so many competitive teams at this Rugby World Cup, which mm. I think is great. So that's what you want. I, I, you know, whenever I get to a, an event and there is a clear favorite, it is. Less fun to do because you know the result that's going to happen. And so with the Rugby World Cup, with such a big stage, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, And so I think that's probably the most exciting part. And it's the same thing when it, you know, I love sevens because that happens generally almost every game where you don't really, I mean, you've got a favorite, but it could easily be upset. You know, all of a sudden Uruguay could beat somebody or Spain beats New Zealand, things like that. Less so in 15s for sure. But the fact that there's so many top teams, particularly the top six, I'm I'm really excited, really thrilled, and the fact that it's in France, what a beautiful country with with, with brilliant people and you know champagne and food ready to go. It's uh, I mean it's, we we're so lucky to be there, right? Yeah. How many games did you do in 2019? Are you increased? Are you down? Yes, I increased. So we did. Uh, so Joel Stransky and I did, and uh, with Santi Gomez Corner, we did ten pool games. We, okay. We, we actually so looked at the skit. Yeah, exactly. We did one more, which is great. It's generally about ten because um, I think there's forty pool games and there's eight knockout games. Yeah. So. But 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 the uh, the interesting thing is last time we were traveling a lot so, uh, so much that we'd basically do a game and maybe have a day rest and then you travel again and then do more games mm. things like that. This time the schedule works out really nicely. That most oh, part nice. um, in the city that we're in, I'll be going, going to four cities. Um, sometimes we're there for five or six days um, or five oh, days right. between awesome. games, which is nice. So you get to experience a bit more of the culture and that sort of thing, which I think is so great. So it's like touring with with a you know with a professional rugby side. You often don't get to do a lot because obviously you're there for one task and you're almost in a hotel, yeah. the airport, uh, and the field the whole time. And you really don't get a chance to take in the culture. So this time, it, it, I'm really, really lucky about that. That was going to be my next question is, do you get much time between them? Or are you just being shipped around? Like, is there a bit of you that is kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking from experience. There's a little bit of me, as excited as I am for the World Cup, and as much as I love it more than anything else, that is going, oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I, suppo- I suppose. Yeah, I suppose what I what I try to do is, if I look too much, I look at all eleven games, knowing there's whatever I'm doing, fifteen countries. That is a ton of work, and but I think I'm gonna. I like like anything. You break it down to like, okay, mm. this next week I've got England, Argentina, yeah. huge game, uh, and then yeah. oh um, wow, yeah, yeah, and then oh, South Africa, Scotland, yeah, South Africa, Scotland. So another big one in that pool. So 
Um, so yeah, take down. Okay, I've got four countries. Got to focus on on those. And then when there is, where it's time to have a break, you have to take a break. So whether it's even going for a run, uh, you know, just to get some exercise mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then you know, there's going to be a lot of friends, you know, from all over the world that are going to obviously be at these different games. So making time to catch up with them is going to be great as well to to do that. Uh, but one thing I definitely do is I often have friends like the night before reach out and say, hey, we're going for drinks. I definitely decline those because. I'm there for one job, you know, to to yeah. to make sure my voice is fine, make sure I'm prepped enough, and that sort of thing. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with meeting up with people after the game or after you, you're done with a couple of games. That's great. But uh, I make sure that obviously, you know, your priority is taken care of, you know. Oh, that's mm. amazing. That's so, mm. so uh, such a great insight into somebody who's going to be at the heart of the Rugby World Cup. And you know, with only a week to go, that is, and I'm, I'm stoked to hear that you're doing so many different nations and we'll be doing justice to them. That's so exciting. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely thrilled. And, and it's great too there, you know, having newer countries like Chile take part is fantastic. Um, you know, obviously being in North America, oh, following yes. them quite a bit, you know, so yeah, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to have more uh, different fans join. I'm disappointed for the USA fans, the Canadian fans yeah. for sure, because they, they needed a team there. Um, but, you know, maybe there is a, you know, something to be said for rebuilding and regrouping ahead of the next World Cup. Yeah, so I think it's I see lead on to the USA. Um, obviously, it's a really tricky time. I think in American rugby to know how to feel about anything because you've got on the one hand, just to call, talk quite generally, you've got this World Cup or two World Cups coming up in you know a matter of years' time. You've got MLR, which is just going from strength to strength and improving every year. And it's just such a great league to watch. And I think more Best and more people league. are watching it from, you know, just to speak kind of anecdotally from people engaging in social media. And it's growing every year, it feels like, in terms of the amount of people enjoying it, the amount of people watching it, the amount of people taking it seriously as well, um, and really making the most of it. But then you've also got both America and Canada, both the USA and Canada, missing out on this World Cup which leaves things in a really tricky state, I'd imagine, as you're kind of traveling around the USA and seeing people and being, you know, a part of that community. Yeah, it, it's it's a complicated one. So I came to the US about 20 years ago. And so that was mm. probably in time for the, you know, 2003 World Cup. Mm. So the USA and Canada featured in, in obviously most of those events. And so it's tricky because even analyzing, you know, going with the USA team to the 2011 Rugby World Cup as a media manager, it, it, you know, there's some games that would play, you know, reasonably well for 60 minutes and other games, you know, perhaps they were, you know, uh, out, out, outplayed. And, and it, was, it was hard to kind of judge. Most people asked me at the time and every year they would ask me, when will the USA and 15 aside in the men's game be competitive with the top 10 sides in the world? So that question always got posed to me. And I, I would always say, well, you know, down the line, it'll be five, 10 years down the line. And, and with all the growth happening. But now we're there, you know, and yeah. uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it is backpedaled a bit. So we're in a difficult place. That's for sure. The positive side, I will say, is that youth programs are still growing and expanding, which I think is mm-hmm. fantastic because the players that are going to play at the 2031 and 2033 World Cup are probably young teenagers right now. And so, you know, 12 years old or so. So you need those players to pick up the game at a younger age. So me growing up in South Africa at four or five years old, you'd obviously get rugby ball and that you'd be start playing right there and then. So a lot of kids I see these days, obviously, that that have parents that have played the game now, they're starting at a young age, five, six, seven, which is great. So I think we're now, this generation is the one that is going to, you know, hopefully carry the USA forward. Because if you really look at the USA and analyze their results and then talk about the Men's World Cup, they'd only ever won three games in total at, you know, nine World Cups. And it was only two countries they've beaten. They've beaten Japan twice and they beat Russia. Mm. So mm-hmm. if you look at that, a lot of people are like, well, how do how do the USA get to a quarterfinal? I'm like, well, 
that's very difficult because you need to win three games out of your pool and things like that. So you need more yeah. meaningful competition, things like MLR. It's interesting because Major League Rugby, if you just look at the facts, and now the USA aren't playing in a Rugby World Cup, you might say, okay, well, since MLR, the USA technically have, have gone down. It's hard to judge. I would say what about that is back in the day, we, the USA had a lot of players playing in you know, a premiership and playing in France and playing overseas. That is a, that's a high level. So hmm. it'll take a few year, few more years for the, for this MLR to be hmm. you know close to that standard I would say um, but things are, things are moving in the right direction that's for sure the women's side are, are still doing well in 15s and then in oh, sevens obviously yeah. that's our glimmer of hope sevens that you know hmm. the US men and women will medal uh, at the Olympic Games coming up and if not when we host in LA in 2028 so there's a lot of different things at play I think investment is probably the biggest one and we're not there yet. We thought yeah. through MLR, which is good, you get more people playing professional rugby and you get those communities supporting and playing as well, which I think is growing the game tremendously. But at sevens, if the US can medal now in 2024 in Paris, I would say then all of a sudden you do unlock a lot of, of sponsorship and a lot more investment in the game, which is huge. We have the Golden Eagles, which support the men and women sevens program, which is fantastic. But we need more wealthy, generous you know, people that support the game and love it as much as they do to help with 15s. Mm. I think that's a really good point. I think that uh, I, the worry is always that so many people are going to get turned off by the lack of kind of qualification for this World Cup. But I think you're right to point out that there's so many other great things that you can focus on that are going on, you know, with the Sevens program, which is fantastic. Like, you know, I think that the USA comes across as one of the nations of the world, Canada likewise, to be fair, that judges, you know, the men's and women's Sevens programs on a similar scale to the 15s one, you know? Um, and I think that with, it's just as well. MLR is um, such a great league that is, as you say, Robbie going from strength to strength and is so interlinked with the college pathways and so on that there mm. is hope for people who are getting into rugby now at a young age. But yeah, I think, no, you other... you, yeah, Sorry, no, go on. Go on. no, no, I was going to say you, you, you're spot on. So when I was living in Boston recently, um, you know, during the pandemic, my wife and I moved from California to Boston. It was mm. it was fascinating because we were close to a team that were galvanizing the local community and all yeah. the teams around. So they would go coach these teams and all of a sudden these young kids and parents would come up to me and say, hey, Dallin, my kid is 12 years old. And now, you know, Carl Sequeira with that mullet blowing in the wind is, is signing autographs and coaching at the high school. I was like, this is so great. So that, yeah. that knock-on effect obviously takes a few years where those players then come through and they become the pros in the U.S. And finally, these young college kids have a profession they, they want to do, which is rugby, which they couldn't do mm. in the past, and now they get paid to play as well. So um, you're right. We're a few years away from seeing those positive effects. It's, as someone who declared themselves a New England Free Jacks fan, you know, delighted though, and, you know, would tune in to watch their games and very much follow their social media stuff, the community around it is so tight-knit. And yeah, there is great. Like a huge, really passionate community. And it is more feverish than like, as, you know, also as an Ospreys fan, than the Ospreys one is, you know, obviously there's probably a handful more, like, you know, there's <laughs> very small, by a very small number, but yeah. Um, but it feels like far more engaged and passionate the, the way very much there's a sense of ownership i think on a lot of the mlr teams looking at the other clubs and you see you know like right through to broccoli guy and all the rest <laughs> of it there's very much built into its own thing um and has a real like yeah sense of ownership of these teams of like actually this is i've waited a long time supporting rugby in this area and now i've got my team and they're competing in this grand competition that's growing and improving and the world is watching and it i think it really means something to a lot of the communities and it's really really 
great and and to say like so easy to be a part of and to enjoy it does feel a bit soon for me as a San Diego Legion fan to be sat with a New England Free Jacks <laughs> fan and a New England Free Jacks ambassador as you are, Dallin. Well, well, hold on. I did, I did like five sideline games for the San Diego Legion. I we're talking about Rob. You're talking about like atmosphere. I would say Free Jacks. It's very intimate. It's like three and a half thousand to five thousand people that mm. come to their games, and it's, it's small and beautiful and loud and amazing. But San Diego Legion, because it's the new Snapdragon Stadium, they have between eight and 11,000 people coming to their games. They do a bunch of activities outside. I was so, Damn so right. impressed. Who needs yeah, to win so, the so league? Impressed. I love it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge Legion fan. And, and now that, you know, LA has a team coming coming back as well, fascinating to see what happens mm. there. I'm, I'm just happy that I don't have to drive, you know, eight hours, you know, because it's four hours there and four hours back to San Diego Legion all the time. I'll obviously be there a few times. But having a, a team closer is great. And you're right, the local community, the kids come around. It, it is yeah. so good for the game and exciting to see. And hopefully it keeps building. And hopefully, as you say, those kids get involved and that's the next generation there. And as you say, the, the, the younger players are taking up the game, the better. And the more rugby they've got in their boots by the time they reach that kind of adult stage, the better. Because I think like, so the game we're ostensibly here to talk about today <laughs> is South Africa's 64-15 win over the USA in 2007, which is an interesting one because you look back at this World Cup and as you say, as you say, commentators on this game are talking about the sleeping giant of the USA and what they could be in 10 years' time. And we're still talking about them in the same way. And yet, like, this is a really strong USA team for a lot of players that are at the start of their career, I think, a lot of which I think you overlapped with. Um so say, did you play with to... any of these guys, Dallin, in the USA lineup? Yeah, so this is fascinating. So I had to go to the lineup to double check who was in the squad <laughs> and stuff like that. So yeah. it's it, it's interesting. So the 2007 Rugby World Cup, we had a seven series that kicked off earlier that year, right? So we went to mm-hmm. the Wellington Sevens, we hosted in San Diego, and we went to Hong Kong. And on those teams, I played alongside Todd Kleber, Takuna Gwenya, Zina Gwenya, the, the gas man, <laughs> uh, Chris Wiles. Nese Malifa and Threaten Palamo, who was the youngest player, you know, at the World Cup when he was playing yeah. there. So, so those those handful of players, brilliant sevens players, obviously. But at this at that time, the US obviously didn't have a massive pool of players. So these players were playing sevens, and then if they were called to fifteens, they'd go back and switch. So it was back and forth oh. for them. So it was really great to see them in the World Cup, and then you know to to see, to watch the watch this game obviously live and to see Tucker Negrenia, the heroics and things like that. It was amazing because it's funny, he didn't do that much in sevens, but then mm. to 15s, he takes on, you know, with the world's best. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was really cool to see those players excel. So did you ever the... play against Negrenia? Were you ever, Ooh, could you add yourself question. to the list of Shane Williams and Brian Habana and so on that he took the name of, that he beat? Yeah, so so I would play sweeper in sevens, right? So Negrenia would go scrimmage all the time. He would, but this is the difference. Habana and those people got within a radius of him, right? <laughs> he, he would break free, and he there'd be fifty meters between us. So yeah, and I, I never, I never got rounded one on one like that. But yeah, I, I got beaten all the time. I mean, it was, uh, it, it, it was almost a joke when he broke the line. I would actually sometimes would not chase because what's the point, right? He's so fast. So unless I was there near him or close, I would come close to the line if I knew he was going to get the ball. Then they would move it to the other side and there'd be space to operate. So you just have to be clever with it. Um, but such a humble, uh, brilliant background, you know, from Zimbabwe. Mm. And, um, you know, he really was like, hey, I really hope I make this team. And this was the sevens team, not the Rugby World Cup and not at that stage. So if you talk about players that went from, you know, real humble beginnings to mm. massive lucrative contact, co- contract after the World Cup, there's no greater story than Zeno Grenier. Yeah, yeah. 
And this was kind of the start of, you know, it's off the back of this that he signed for Biritz, mm. where he obviously goes on to play 200 This is games. his fourth cap for the USA, yeah. and it's... Yeah. Scores his second try in this game, which is insane because he looks like so established. And, you know, we'll talk about what he actually does, but I think everyone knows by now. I think he's a fascinating case because he is both very much his own player. And I think a lot of people certainly have kind of our generation will look back on him as one of the most famous, iconic USA players of all time. Absolutely. You know, alongside Todd Clever, who's also in this team. Chris Wilde's a fullback as well. Um, it's a you know it's a good strong you know Alec Parker I've really enjoyed in this World Cup yeah Mark McDonald well. Dan Payne at eight also you know yeah. a player that's had a lot a huge huge influence on American rugby obviously goes on to become chief executive officer um, however I think Nguyenu is like the name that comes up but a lot of that is well, Mike Petrie on the bench as well who you know his first test cap here which yeah. is insane and obviously someone you know very very well Dallin someone you've worked yes. with a great deal Absolutely. And and that's the great thing about this squad is uh, a lot of them I got a chance to travel with to the 2011 Rugby World Cup. A lot I've even mm. played with. And then you look back to the names now. So if I just scroll through the USA side, so obviously I'm in touch with Chris Wiles, who's you know, owner mm. of Wolfpack Lager. We go grab some drinks. In fact, John John Smith came over one time I was there having beers with, with Chris Wiles, who is the captain in this game. So, you know, they played together at Saracen. Oh, well, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's brilliant how connected the rugby community is. And actually, Smith, funny story, Smith, he comes up. So first time I met him and obviously coming from South Africa, like, you know, he's an absolute mm. legend. So we have some beers. He pulls out his cell phone, which, by the way, is like tiny, the t- tiny, small, like the, your pinky finger size. I'm like, what the heck is that? He goes, no, it's a, it actually works. He says, but this is a prank. I'm going to I'm going to bring it out in my next business meeting. And so this guy is up to up to his old tricks, which is great to see, <laughs> you know. Um, and then um, Mike Herkus, I played with the Blah, who I think is such a skill player. Oh, yeah. Player. Um, he's class. Yeah, so he's class. He's class. Some of the touches he has in this game in the World Cup. So. Um, backstory, I went to Belmont Shore, which is a local t- club here in Long Beach, California. I played a lot of mm. sevens for them. And then during a time period where a lot of their, their Eagle players were playing for the USA, they were getting to, um, it's called the Super League back then, to the quarters and semis. And they needed players to fill in that could, while those players like Herkus and, and other, other US Eagles were away. So, but one game I played with Herkus, uh, and it was kind of really cool because he came to me before the game. He said, Dylan, I know this is your first game for Belmont. Um, you know, I'm here to help. Let me know anything. I'm like, so re- really nice guy. I didn't need to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, Nessa Malifa is another guy from Belmont Shore as well. And then Big Henry Bloomfield, um, uh, mm. Big H, a massive unit. So a bunch of those guys came from the same same club. And uh, Chris Oskiantowski, oh, wow. the prop, uh, Big Oz. So we all played together in those early years, which is cool then to see them here in the World Cup uh, as well. So just, just a great bunch of people. It's fantastic. It's funny how it all connects together, isn't it? It's funny how, as you say how easy it is for so many so much of rugby to I draw feel like, straight um, lines we've just like we've just tackled the usa leaving party just like ahead of time <laughs> there i feel uh, because as you say it's it's such a great team and i feel like obviously they get like you know slightly pasted on the scoreboard in this game but the likes of i think owen lentz who's had an amazing tournament and uh, mike mike Herkus, i think has an excellent game here and i think uh, so this is mike Herkus's final game for the us isn't it and i just think what an amazing servant he is and the fact that you know you speak so highly as him uh, as a player somebody who's worked alongside him um it's just great to kind of have that reaffirmed i suppose I like that yeah, as and, one halfback called Mike rises, another must fall. Indeed. They, Both they USA legends. Quanta. 
Yeah, which, which, a which legendary is, halfback called Mike. Which, which is funny because this day, as you said, I commentate a lot with Mike Petrie. So Peaches, we work together in MLR. Mm. We do some test matches together. Um, he's and he's written a you know children's book as well. Uh, maybe yeah. that's because he doesn't know big words, you know. But either way, <laughs> good on. R is for rugby. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but I want to I want to talk about it quickly. So what's interesting about this World Cup? If you do look at the results going back before this game, USA actually mm. had a good run in terms of they yeah. lost you know to Samoa by only four points. Tonga beat him by 10 points, who almost took out South Africa as well in the, in the pool. And then England, 28 points to 10. It's not a massive result in terms of uh, the scoreline mm. where they are today. So you could say this, you know, I'm sure they lost the first three games, but it was a relatively successful competitive World Cup for the USA. For sure. It makes you think if they and played South Africa first, that... this would have been a closer scoreline. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is quite a tight turnaround as well going into this game. Yeah. Like it's... And also playing Tonga yeah, and Samoa on the bounce and then playing yeah. the Springboks afterwards, you're going to be bruised, and aren't you? They've got a four-day turnaround between this and the Samoa game. Like, yes. it's really tight. They've been kind of screwed over there. And they pick a largely unchained team from that side as well. Because yeah. they've got, as you say, a really strong team that pushed England. And, like, all of England's tries came in about, like, a 10-, 12-minute period where they kind of got on top. And they were really even either side of that. Yeah. While, you know, sure. while they were down a man as well. Um, yeah. While they had yeah, you talk- a seeker in the exactly. bin. And you talk about the, t- the 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 time between games. That mm. that is ridiculous to have four, four. You know, I'm glad things have changed yeah. these days. But to have four days, your body is so banged up. As you said, playing these physical Pacifica Island Nation teams, yeah. you the next day you're absolutely buggered, and then you rest for one day, up. and then you're yeah, and then you're at the captain's run for the next game. <laughs> and you and who are you playing? The soon to be world champions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you look at that South Africa team, right? Look at their pack. I'm just going to read through their pack that they're playing. They played four. Like that schedule you just mentioned, right? You're then playing Oz Duran, John Schmidt. <laughs> BJ Bota, Albert van der Berg, Victor Bloody Matfield, Wilkes van der Heden, Joan Smith, and Schalk Berger is their starting pack. And like, the what are you meant to get, do? Like, Foy Dupree, Butch James, Brian Habana, Fran Stein in the back, Percy Montgomery at fullback, Jacques Ferry. Like, you know, Undergarden is the one player I did mention. You know, good player, very quick. But, um, <laughs> Like, it's absurd. And then, like, when they start bringing on Bismarck, C and CJ Vandalina and Bucky's bloody boater and Bobby Skinstad, like, what are you supposed to do when that's what you're coming up against? After, as you say, four days off the back of playing Samoa. Of, of wrestling three to Alangis. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Yes, and well, sit this and one out. Scott, South, Africa, exactly. South Africa had a full week's rest. That's right. Now with Scott Berger, so I'll give you a backstory there. So I played at the University of Cape Town uh, called UCT, the Aki Tigers, and the big rivalry fixtures against Stellenbosch, who produced majority of the Springbok players, particularly in the forwards. Oh, wow. And so there's, you know, it's English-speaking UCT against Afrikaans-speaking, uh, you know, more farmers uh, in Stellenbosch. And so one year, so Stellenbosch are so good that they have two teams in the same league. So their main side mm. and then a team called the Victorians, which is their second side. Generally, the youngsters, 20 years old, 21-year-olds. So we played UCT at home against uh, the Victorians, the second team from Stellenbosch. And it was a very close game. Um, and I think they pipped us in the end. And those games are generally like that, you know. But one player with blonde hair was everywhere. I thought he was a center, but he actually was a flanker because he was everywhere, <laughs> smashing people back and forth. It was Scott Berger. Scott Berger, wow. we played against him wow. at university. And he was a clear man of the match and was dominating. Every time he carried the ball, he knocked over three of us. It took three of us to tackle him. Uh, it was so frustrating. And I think he was probably only 20 years old then. Uh, and this is ahead wow. of obviously a few years before he was, you know, one of the world's best. Uh, scary sight. Did you have to tackle him at any stage or did he have to tackle you? 
<laughs> oh yeah, I, I I tackled him four or five times, but I never actually brought him down. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> say, we've had two international uh, players, I think, on this podcast before. Um, you being the third now, um, I think you must be the first one who's potentially successfully tackled Scott Berger. Between the five, I think if you add them up accumulatively, you've got yes. them on the floor. No, hey, I did, no we I did had have, another well, touch international, so maybe, no, no, you know, that's maybe true. that counts for something. Yeah. But, well, I, I will say I do, I do have one claim to fame only in South Africa, and it was – so I'm a very small built player, and that's why sevens was more my game. But in South Africa, I was playing outside center, so generally playing against players that are like, you know, 120 kilograms, and there I am at like, you know, 80 kilograms or so, so <laughs> quite a lot smaller than the opponent's. So my trick I used to do, and this is back when the laws were slightly different, was I would sprint out and I would dive. You know, I was wearing a, a headgear as well. Mm. I would dive yeah. and connect to the player, my opposite number, in midair as they were catching the ball and kind of hit them in the sternum. And it would obviously knock the ball out, out on or, or give them obviously a big fright and knock them to the ground. So that's the way I would, would, would take people out sometimes. Now, again, you'd be probably banned these days. But in that game in Victorians, uh, my outside center was chirping me and um, they had possession. Their flock got the ball and I knew he was winding up for a skip pass. And as he did, obviously lined up my, my opposite number, flew in, knocked him out. And um, <laughs> I mean, again, that was not the goal. The goal is just to hit him to the ground to say, hey, while I'm smaller, I could still tackle you. Uh, and that quietened down the back line for, for their, their opponents, which is great. Nice. But, of course, but of course, Scott Berger then was like, okay, I need to go for this player. So then I had a tough, a tough afternoon after that. <laughs> Congratulations on surviving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've made it this far. That's all that matters. Yeah. Avoiding skulk, any... yeah. So I had to have hot feet. Yeah, you still got Is a there... bruise somewhere on your leg. So we ran for everyone in the American team you played with. Anyone in the South African team else that you crossed paths with? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, looking at uh, Butch James. So interesting oh, yeah. enough, at that same, yeah, at that same university, uh, UCT, there was a time period where some of the uh, Springboks coming back from injury, because they were training at Western Province and training in um, the South African Institute of Sport in, in Cape Town. They actually organized a fixture on a Thursday night where they came across and there were five or six Springboks coming back from injury that we played against mixed into a UCTV side. So wow. Butch James, we played Flav against Butch James. Uh, I want to say like they had uh, Uyosto and they had a, a Dean Halls on the wing, a, a bunch of other... Ma- Amazing players. So we obviously got absolutely hammered. But Butch James' story is interesting because I was commentating when I was playing, the usual, and mm. and maybe that got it irritated the opposition, particularly Butch <laughs> James. And so he put a chip over the top, and I was looking up at the ball as it came down. And in his characteristic swinging arm, shoulder first, he absolutely <laughs> smoked me. I woke up. <laughs> I woke up on the ground with everybody like, help me up, are you okay? Um, and so, yeah, that's my Butch James story. And um, no, no penalty, by the way, for the high shot or anything else. And Butch James, the referee didn't like you commentating no, either. Ex- no, exactly. Don't play <laughs> on. Butch James helped me up, and, and uh, so yeah, that's my story. Butch, I mean, he obviously was one of the biggest hitters as a fly off as well. Very intimidating when you know something's coming in, especially when the kick comes up. Uh, but yeah, he was he was a great talent. The rest of the team, um, I mean, we obviously you know knew of a lot of these players. Like Percy went to mm. Sax, which is a high school near us. I was at Rondebosch. Okay. So he was very famous coming through there. And then Bobby Skinset, of course, was everybody's favorite as well, uh, particularly yeah. with his debut when he, you know, swung a, a dummy and scored in the Tri-Nations, you know, with his tongue out, uh, uh, captain, captain the Stormers, Western Promise, just an icon, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd been going a while by this point. Yeah. You know, this was obviously yeah. the end of his yeah. end of his career, one of his last few games for the Spring yeah. Big fan of Skinstad. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
So, yeah, so we get to the, the game itself finally after an hour. I apologize. Um, the, they do bring up the reigning Olympic champions fact, which is always appreciated. Always a nice one to sneak in. Always a good, good bonus fact. Um, just one of the most used rugby pub quiz questions. Uh, always a fan of any commentary team that can sneak it in. Um, I'm not giving you advice. <laughs> <laughs> any chance to boast the USA's uh, rugby glory, I suppose. Exactly. On every game, all 11 games you're going to be hearing. Of course, none of these are the reigning Olympic champions. <laughs> One thing I really like from the start of the game is the amount of foreshadowing that goes on in the, the first half of what is going to happen later on. So there's the early on, South Africa go for a wide pass and Nguenya intercepts it and gets caught, which is like a wild thing in itself. There's a point where Todd Clever goes for an intercept for an offside position and drops it and gets penalised yes. for it, which again, great bit of foreshadowing. Um, there's a point where... Um, Montgomery gets charged down. Habana tries to run out for his own 22 and Nguyenia takes him down. And that is the point where Habana starts to look human. And <laughs> knowing what we know now, I think that's such an interesting kind of first 20 minutes of the game, the stuff that goes on on that wing. Obviously, the scoreboard's ugly, but I think it's a great start for the USA. Yeah. Like, I think they defend really solidly and look really up for it. As you said, for the team that's on four days rest that are coming in against the champions to be, and knackered, know they're going home after this. Know the flights are already scheduled. They've probably got their tickets. They won't be on their phones, but you know, they probably come through to their their Blackberries. Um with the tiny buttons. And yeah, like they're you know, they really work hard for their free points, which are really well deserved early on for Hercus. Um and like you can't say <laughs> that, I think. On the on, on the comms they say that Herx's penalty is gonna be the biggest cheer of the night for the USA fans. And it's just like <laughs> you know what you can't predict the future, can you? No, no. And and you know what's interesting if you, you look at that game early on, South Africa had intent to go wide very quickly mm. and very often. And so that is hard mm. to defend, as you said, when you're tired and you know, you've got a lot of elusive players, you know, in in that back line. You know, Jog Free is, you know, one of South Africa's best with his line running angles. He would get a few tries later in the night. But it was amazing because right out of the gates, generally test match rugby tends to be a bit more subdued, a lot more kicking and, you know, keeping it tight with the forwards, which means the scoreline's not not as big. So the fact that the U.S. could defend early on w- was a good sign. Sure, that maybe tied them out for, for later. But yeah, Todd Clever leading, leading from the front, tucking Aguena's energy uh, was, was really good to see early on from the U.S. Yeah, Mike McDonald getting a jackal turnover was very enjoyable. I think... The first try eventually comes because just because like when you've had to tackle that pack for so long and it's like seven or eight phases um, and eventually like the USA just a little bit slow to fold around the corner. And you know what? That's fine. Like it's not the end of the world conceding a try like that where it's Butch James. And and clearly there is a a young Dallin Stanford somewhere commentating on Butch James, who I once played against very threatening lad offloading to Scott Berger, once played against him, very threatening lad um, crashing over there. You know, it's those two those two players linking up in a way that I'm probably you're probably quite glad you didn't play against them at the same time, right? Yes, correct. And also bearing in mind all the people around them, you notice every time the USA took the ball into contact, there was smoke because there is mm. if it's not Scott Berger, as you said, it's John Smith or you know some mm. other big players like BJ Buda were waiting or Victor Madfield. What a legend he is, and oh, and yeah. he's just one of the you know players on the field here. Also, runs you, you know as a backline player, you'd often take a switch and cut back towards the forwards. 
Well, you mm. never you never want to do that against Africa because you know <laughs> if you're not going to get taken out by burgers, someone else is going to take your head off. So, and then if you go to the backs, so you got Bush James waiting there. So, yeah, it's 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 nothing's going to happen. There's clearly something that's happened back room where Jake White, already Jones, who was with them at the time, has gone like, we're going to be far more expansive today. You know, we're going to be far more open. And what South Africa, you know, their backs understood that and were like, brilliant. We've been waiting for this day for a long time. You know, and there's like very 10-man rugby style. Jacques Ferrie so excited. Percy Montgomery's almost giddy. Foy Dupree is like, brilliant. I shall do some running rather than just tactics. But... The pack understand this and like, you know, the, so there's a structure that France won a lot, that like has been named the submerger, where they kind of, that one forward will carry and they'll offload to the next who's right in behind, who's right into the next and then DuPont will eventually get it and score. And it's just kind of this like wave after wave of offloading forwards, just like carrying and it's impossible to kind of handle. Basically, South Africa almost invent that accidentally because that's what those forwards understand. Those forwards were so trained to just be like straight up carries. We're going to be hard. We're going to be physical. And we're going to dominate you. When they hear expansive rugby, they go, okay, I'll do what I normally do, but I'll offload afterwards. Yeah, I'll kill someone, then pass the ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or but, pass but the ball so and right. kill someone. Exactly. Mm. But later in the game, you're right, because Berger gets it out near the wing and he's got mm. all the backs with him and running. And it's just, I mean, how do you defend that when you've got massive yeah. units coming at you the whole time? It's, it's an onslaught that worked for them well. well. I do love that moment. I, I can't remember which try it is in the second half, but we might as well talk about it now while we're there. Where yeah. CJ van der Linder and John Smith both do like quick hands along to Scott Berger, who outright just refuses to pass the ball. Like he's got like JP Peterson outside him or something going like, I know that you would run this in, but I do have a few more murders to commit before <laughs> we get there. I think it's Jacques Ferry's try, maybe? He's yeah, a hungry burger. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right, exactly. But Scott reminds me of like in sevens the equivalent of Danny Barrett, who basically would break the yeah. line and and wouldn't go for the try, would look for the defender to run over before <laughs> yes. then going towards the line. Yeah, so Berger just like got the ball and he's and he's like, Hey, if I don't run over one or two people, then I'm not running properly. <laughs> There's a great clip on YouTube of Philo Tiatia, the four yeah, when two cups of the All Blacks and spent a long time at the Ospreys where he became a real legend. Um of him scoring a try against Ulster. And as he's going over the line, an Ulster player comes in late and he's doing like, oh no, I missed you. And he just runs into him and bumps him <laughs> off backwards. And I love that. I love that. More of that. More completely unnecessary. If you're that big and that nails. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I want to also bring up, so um, one of my favourite moments in this game comes from a combination of Mike Herkus and... Our favourite referee, Tony Spreadbury, who I absolutely love and miss. Um, but there's a point where he penalises the USA inside the USA 22 and says to Mike Kirkus, like, you're giving away a lot of penalties. Like, I understand you're under the cosh, but please, please play legally. Um, he was in the breakdown. He's in the wrong side, whatever. And Herkus goes, oh, I thought he was in quite a good position. And then Spreadbury goes, did you? I didn't. <laughs> He was, he was, I mean, Bradbury was, as you said, one of the all time greats. I also love when there's a couple of players getting injured, he goes down to help them straight away. Yeah. You know, which is a paramedic. You that in, yeah. You do, and you don't see that for, for, you know, like modern day referees or officials, which I thought was really good. But I love the banter, the chirp. We, we obviously know it with some of the more famous referees these days. Uh, but just a couple little quips here and there. And as a, as a flyer for back on player, you know, what's he doing at their ruck time anyway? He's probably only been to one ruck in his life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't that, was a wrong, that was a wrong is. turn. You know, he was looking for the, yeah. the Burger King. And he ended up in a ruck. We've all been there. We've all made We've that all mistake. I So I greatly enjoyed Mark Her- Mike Herkus in this game. Because mm. 
I think him going, this is my last game for the USA. I'm going to leave absolutely everything out there. And he goes into like almost full on titanium 10 mode where he is suddenly flying at everything. He's, I think he kicks incredibly well. Yeah. But, you know, he obviously misses one conversion, but like otherwise it's like spot on with his kicking. But it's just like every tackle he is thundering into in a way you don't, when you think of Mike Herkus, you don't think of like the Butch James or the Johnny Wilkinson style defensive tenny, like really puts his body on the line. But here he is going, I am leaving absolutely nothing out there and flying at everything, like jumping, like dropping his shoulders into people. It's great. I had a great time watching him like doing crash balls even. <laughs> I had a great time just seeing Mike Herkus go full like I am I am putting a hundred games of physical effort. It's especially great when like the camera zooms in on him during a stoppage and he's absolutely spent. It's like right, I'm gonna yeah. do it again, but let me get my breath first. He's and, also and like, I'll say both yeah, sorry, but, but both sides, right? But both sides of the ball. He, uh, there's one movement in the game where the quick hands sublime. He gives an mm, unbelievable yeah. pass. Then he gives a no look behind the back pass to one of his forwards. I mean, the skills on this player, and then and then a fake kick as well. Where he's almost charged down yes. by Chris James. Yeah, I mean, the skill level from this player in the, in a tight in a very tough game like that, as you said, physicality he showed, the tackling, taking it up. But I mean, the skill set just remarkable. And then of course that ball that he throws over the top to set up Naguena in the end. I mean, that is a beautiful pass. Unreal. Unreal. He has a fantastic game, I think. And he's one of those where you probably can't call him out of the match because he's on a team that loses by 50 points. But... Makes a great count for himself, though. Yeah, I I loved watching him. I thought he just, like, he couldn't have given any more to the cause, you know? He couldn't have played much better. Save for being Dan Carter, he couldn't have really done anything else. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. 100%. So, a couple of the other tries in the first half... um, Fran Stein scores a lovely one where he's so light on his feet, mm. gets the ball on the 22-meter line and just jinks inside a couple of men. And it's just, again, one of those when the defense has been working that hard that there's so little you can do about it. Yes. That, and he was just 20 years of age. That, that's yeah, the other issue yeah, about Fran yeah, Stein. Yeah, Imagine yeah. being 20 and being at the World Cup and then, you know, taking big mm. kicks and carving up. But you're right. That try, I was looking at it and Chris Wilde's actually the first line of defense, and he's just a little bit too far on the outside. And then Stain cuts him, beats Todd Clever, beats another player, and, and runs through. I mean, what a talent, what a servant of the game for South Africa. I mean, and I think that's interesting, you know, I, I think less so in some international teams, picking the, the 19, 20-year-olds and putting them in your side and giving mm. them full reign to go. Some countries are like, oh, too young, we'll wait till, you know, you progress a bit. So credit to Jake White for spotting, obviously, Stain and bringing him in early. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, his longevity to go and win another World Cup in 2019, which, yeah, and all just miss out on this year, you know, just have, yeah. pick up that injury, otherwise he would have gone. Very close. Would yeah. have been a great story. He would have, des- he, one of those players that desperately deserves to be there based on, you know, a very long deserving career. And yeah, takes his try beautifully. It's a really lovely highlights mm. real moment, I think. And somebody else with a lot of highlights real moments, Brian Habana. Um, scores a try yeah. as well. So this is the interesting thing, because obviously this game is famous for one thing and really one thing only. You know, people mm. know the Springboks win it, but they basically know it for one thing. The really interesting thing that you don't know is that Brian Habana scored directly before that thing happens. Yes. Mm. I, I've literally written, Habana try, who cares? This isn't about you. <laughs> and, and also, by the way, two, two tries, scores later in the game, but you could see, especially in the mm. second one, in the second half, he's actually... He's pissed off, you know, because obviously mm. what what had, what had happened in the game. So no smiles, just running back. And you can see, and then as you said, the tone was set early on where you know, Gwena came flying up and had a big hit. And then don't forget, they collide. They collide in a mm. dangerous, I mean, Habana would have been red carded. 
in today's yes. laws. It was a head-on-head, head, wasn't it? For a head-on-head high shot after putting a kick through. So, you know, by the way, Brian is the, the nicest guy ever. Obviously, we know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, like, I, look, well, you're not part of this. You haven't... <laughs> He's he's the nicest person him. you'll ever meet. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. you're not part of this. Don't speak. Uh, he's the nicest so, person I'll the never meet. Person. Yeah, he's the <laughs> genuinely first time I spoke to Brian Abana. First time I met him, I was like high for half an hour afterwards, just on like how lovely he is. And Robbie's so great. He remembers everyone's names. I mean, it is truly a yeah. skill. And, and yeah, and, and I found that like I'd met him one time and then a year later at the sevens, he was like, Dylan, how's it going? And I'm like, okay, that is impossible. Like I'm a nobody. <laughs> How do you even remember my name? I mean, this guy is chatting, holding babies, taking photographs, signing autographs. And so, but yeah, in this game, you, you could see he was ruffled I, because of yeah. all the, you know, silly things going on against him. So uh, I did this thing for World Rugby. Will, you're not part of this. Where I did this thing for World Rugby where... um I like interviewed a bunch of players. I interviewed like Jamie George and Brian Habana and, you know, a slow mapper series, another small coach and a few others. Um, and Brian Habana was the only one who like, like at the start of it, he was like, do you want me to call you Robbie or Squidge? And, you know, it was a very like, you know, affectionate and warm. And then like, I was at a pub in Twickenham uh, after the premiership final that I got, whatever. And like Brian Habana walks in and he like makes a point of coming over and shaking hands with me. And, and like, I was not expecting to recognize me, you know, He's just yeah. like he is the loveliest man. Exactly. I was just saying, um, if he remembers sorry, Will, everyone's. Sorry, I don't. Will, I don't think you included this. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'll go on mute. I'll go on mute. And say so he, okay. he remembers everyone's name other than the person who was slow in the turn when the kick came, went in. <laughs> uh, that he found that he could get an advantage over. You know, that's the one person he doesn't name. Maybe that yeah. was Nguenya. <laughs> I doubt that. Just, mate. He's ashamed to mention his I, name. I, I do have I a bet. note written down about Habana being slow in the turn. This is the thing, right, about Brian Habana, is that he is a wonderful man who had a hell of a career. Obviously finished the second top try score of all time, top for the Springboks, won a World Cup, player of the year, everything you can possibly win. Brian Habana pretty much won it. Um, however, he also, I think if you mention the name Takazewa and Gwenya to him, he will shudder. Yes. I also yes. think he was so competitive and that's a part of why he got there and got to those heights that I think he's this is probably one of the things in his career that he looks back on and does you know perhaps perhaps there's a bit of cold sweat. Yes. Even what having seen this try hundreds of times mm. watching it back in the context of this game it just like gave me chills man like what a try this is. And, and and what's fascinating about it is you you know often a player does something brilliant but it doesn't it's not at the detriment of anybody else right so they beat mm. five people and they yeah. score and nobody remembers the five people they beat I mean the amount of times I got stepped on the sevens field luckily nobody remembers right so that's okay but this one moment as you said because it's Z and it's an underdog USA it's a banner and the way he gets around him where banner dies full length and doesn't even touch him it, it's mm, yeah. I mean it's it's nightmarish it wears Craven again. <laughs> <laughs> and it does you know it doesn't change anything about Habana's career like the reason that it's so cool is because Brian Habana is who he is but also like it is because it sort of comes from nothing like Brian Habana scored moments earlier so Africa immediately back down onto the try line and you're figuring oh this is just gonna be another one this is the moment they kind of run away from it because the USA have put up a pretty good fight that Habana try felt like the kind of breaking of the dam and everything's gonna open from here the situation then, looks identical to the Scott Berger try earlier, by the way. Yeah. Like, where South Africa yeah. are on the field, the setup that they have outside them, 
And and then, yes, as you say. Todd Clever, having just returned from the bin a few minutes earlier. Yes. Makes this incredible read, plucks the ball out of the air. And like everything from there, I mean, everyone listening has seen it before, but it's poetry. It's kind of rugby poetry of everything being just so beautiful and perfect. I think every moment in this try deserves its moment, you know. There's yeah. so much just beauty that goes on this. As you say, it's rugby poetry. Everything that can be good in rugby is done here. There's it a great didn't... defensive read. There's a great handoff. There's a great pass. There's a great finish, you know. There's the speed. There's the power. There's everything about it. You know, there's like Mike Herkes has passed. We alluded to earlier, but it's a hell of a ball, and that gets left out, I think. And the fact that yeah. he gives it from Gwenny to run onto as well, rather than lobbing it at him. That's right. You know, Rob's and it's for a, him to run onto, and it's so quick the way he reloads and throws it over. I want to go mm. do um, the handoff. The handoff, though. So I chatted to yes. Mark Clever about the handoff. Uh, you know, years later, and he'd spent time playing Super Rugby with the Lions in South Africa, so he, you know, knew knew a bunch of South Africans. He said it was quite funny. He said because. Obviously, Todd plays on the edge of the game and generally offsides quite a lot and, and gets in the scuffles. He said him and Butch James had a couple of, you know, a couple of hits and Butch obviously brings the heat. So he said that when he made the break, he was like going forward. He was like looking for Butch, actually. So that's why it's so funny that he found him, handed off, and Butch stumbled backwards, which is hilarious too. So it like most times in a handoff, you know, a handoff is a handoff. And unless someone's diving at you, you can push him to the ground. But the fact that he pushes him backwards was remarkable to, to set that play up. Blood coming out of Todd's face, everything else again. What a great start to that try. You've alluded to what a great tackler and big hitter Butch James is. To see him tumbling to the deck, mm. like, you must really make him feel that. I bet he hated every second of that. And also, a quick word. Every time I watch this, I always think this is such an underrated moment in the try. Alec Parker's touch and support mm. line in midfield. The fact that he, he runs mm. like a scrum half style cheat line when Todd Clever makes the break. And... His link for this, his, the timing of his pass, I think, is so sensible that he runs as quickly as he can. And bless him, like you look at the, the replay and it's very clear that he is the least fast member of this movement, right? Uh, which is not a controversial thing for me to say. And he, he looks up, realizes he's gone as far as he can and lets Mike Herkus execute that final moment. And I think the mm. one second he sp- spends on the ball there is so valuable to this try because so many forwards would have just seen how far they can go themselves and not risked an extra pass. But it's such a sensible moment by Alec Parker. Alec yeah, Parker, well, you- I think is yeah. maybe the second most underrated player of this pool stage to Luke Thompson, who is the most underrated player of all time, seemingly. <laughs> yes. And I will bang this drum forever. Luke Thompson, what a player. But Alec Parker has been it's phenomenally really great phenomenal. for the USA. And obviously, you know, quite an advanced age at this point. You know, he's been playing for the USA since the mid-90s. You know, just missed out on 95, but then played in the 99, 2003, 2007 World Cups. And makes such a great account of himself. And I'm so excited to see him when he's perhaps more in his prime, if this is the later days of his mm. career, and he's this good. He's been such a force so for the USA and works so hard and such a part of them really yeah. standing up and being so characterful. And then, yeah, his touch is absolutely fantastic. Dallin, thoughts? Yeah, yeah. you, you need a leader on your side, right? And you need some mm. veterans and experience. If you look at like the, the back trio, they're going to do great things. But Louis Stanfield is, is so young. He's early 20s. Yeah. Todd Clever as well. Dan Payne, you mentioned, you know, they would go on to do great things in their rugby career. But at this point in time, you needed, you know, your Alec Parkers to lead out the side and have that experience. And as you said, the fact that he had that touch in that movement is, is, is amazing because the work rate you need in a game to be able to get up from a set piece and to be able to get there when the backs yeah. are breaking out type thing out mm. wide is phenomenal. You look at all the great tries, you know, Gareth Edwards try obviously back in the day, everybody had that part to play. 
But if they yeah. didn't, you know, get to that moment in time, we would be sitting here talking about this iconic yeah. moment. So as you said, a great point to pick it up. And Alec Parker, wherever you are in the world, my friend, uh, what a what a brilliant moment to be a part of. And, and again, it's player. that determination work rate, you know? Yeah. And so said, Mike Herker slings that ball over. The thing that astounds me most about this is somehow that ball goes backwards. Because it's impossible to throw yes. that, that pass and not throw it forwards. It's it's an incredible ball. And then Gwenya gets it on the wing with about 50 metres to go. And a and full head of steam. A full head of steam. And he's already jet. And you don't know how he can physically get any faster here with Brian Habana in front of him in the backfield. What I love about this is that he... So he had space to operate, which is important. But a lot of times a winger will step what just one step or maybe two steps at most. Mm. But he's got this stuttering little step that goes back inside to freeze... Brian at first and then he stutters and goes again and so you know the defender's not sure why well, you're going in you're going out and so the fact that he keeps Havana guessing the whole time obviously is the part of this play sure he's exceptionally fast but it's that movement to slow down the defender it's it's like when when I was goose-stepped by Wasali Serevi on the Sevens World Series you know it's coming oh, but, oh what a name yeah. drop <laughs> but 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 once the goose comes, you're frozen and there's a reason for it. So you're still the player. You can't is just carry on talking boom. after you've started an anecdote with when I got goose well, stepped by Ray Sarley Sarevi. Hang that in the fucking Louvre. <laughs> I can. I'm just oh, on the road. So good. Yeah, I can pop yeah. over. Oh, well, hang on. I'll give you my other Sarevi story. So this is actually quite funny. This happened literally three weeks ago. So he's been in the US for a long time now and he's working and coaching and doing wonderful work. And I see him a lot of the sevens, yeah, sevens yeah, events. Yeah, yeah. Well, and his daughter there was a, played for his USA, daughter didn't she? That, that, that's right. Yes. His daughter, exactly. And, and a great player, beautiful offloads as well. You could see, mm. you know, the, the coaching and the service mm. steps. But we're playing a um, non-contact game called uh, Flag Rugby X. So it's basically you pull the flags mm. and, and non-contact. And it's we've got a game set up in, in San Clemente, California with the Rhinos Rugby Academy people. And basically, coaches versus players. The kids want to play mm. against all the coaches. So the Rebbe's there and a bunch of other great coaches. Matala Yuta, Olympian, USA Eagle. And I'm there with the, the tag rugby group. So we jump on the same team. And so the first move of the game, so Rebbe gets the ball. He throws an outrageous dummy. Four of the kids fall over. He then keeps going down the touchline. He gets reeled in. You know, he is a bit older. And he floats a beautiful ball over the top. And I choose... Which happened to be a nice line, so it's a great line. Except the ball comes quite high and hits me in the head, square oh, on. No. Okay, so but yes, yes, from Sarevi, my only pass I've received from Sarevi, I bloody don't catch it straight to my hands. Everyone's laughing, but at the same time, the head doesn't count as a knock-on. So I carry on and dive on the ball and we score a try. Oh, but, but yes, it, it, yeah, yes. So amazing. You get assist. Embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> you got an assist from Sarevi. Uh, Forever, exactly. So after the, I did say to him, hey, hey, Weiss, you got to look at your passing. You have to bring it down a bit, the height. <laughs> <laughs> that man should never have retired. Yeah. yeah. He's oh, still man. got it. So good, so good. But yes, so season Gwenya on the outside. Mm. Got more yeah. steps than the Great Wall of China. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. oh, solid gold. The thing is, I would say, like, you know, we've had you booked for this. So you, you, you would have had time to prepare for that. I know that you said that at the time because you were commentating <laughs> on everything. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You no, can I mean, the Eiffel Tower as well. For yeah, France. that's right. No, there, there will be some coming here. But yeah, talking about these lines. So I told you in the seventh yes. where he wasn't, you know, he had less space in seven. So I suppose it is the buildup is not as easy. And um, what I love about this is that he backed himself. And yeah. 
which is, which is, which is interesting because post this, we still played with, with uh, Taku uh, Nogrenio on the seventh series. And he was nervous. He was more nervous after this moment because he felt like if somebody rounds me, then they're going to no. say, oh, I rounded Z Nogrenio. You see, so he, he mm. was, he was more cautious afterwards. So it's really good moment in his, you know, um, you know, lifespan of a rugby player. And the moment in time that he was like, I'm going to have a go because I have nothing to lose. And I think that was fantastic where, you know, yeah. later in his career, he didn't, I think in the sevens, didn't live up to this hype. He did when he played in France because he had some unbelievable mm. tries he scored. But yeah, what a what a moment in time for this young kid. The sheer balls yeah. on him to round a Habana whose high in confidence has just scored. It's just remarkable because how many players would do that and look like the stupidest person ever? It's exactly what you just said, though, that it was a lot of it was the youth and the fact this is his fourth cap. And he scored, obviously, in that Samoa game and scored this phenomenal solo try. Yeah. And so he's high on confidence. Nothing can stop him. He's not stopped to question this. He hasn't stopped to question, oh, well, I look silly for trying to take on Habana. Nothing. He's just like, no, I am shit hot and I'm going to prove it. Yeah. And he does. And Habana shows him the outside and Nguenya goes, thank you very much. Mm. With a tiny kind of five-minute, po- five-meter pocket of space, dusts him off, clean clean as, as you say, Habana doesn't get a hand on him and scores under the sticks. How? It, what an incredible, one of the best tries in the Ripple Cup's history. And 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 also Jock Faree, who's very fast as well, tries yeah, to cover yeah. and try to get him. You know, doesn't get him. And you know, some tries, if you even you know score in the corner, it's great. Whatever. The fact that he can run around underneath the sticks with you can see the the video angle of the crowd jumping to their feet, who largely were quite quiet. You know, when South Africa scored some of their tries, mm. they are on their feet. He scores in the uprights, and then a celebration. He goes to his teammates. You just get goosebumps when you see everybody running in and celebrating. It's moments like that that are like it doesn't matter if the USA, you know don't win the World Cup, which obviously they don't, but it's like that moment there is their World Cup winning moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the way Nguyenia celebrates is iconic in and of itself. He's kind of like almost in disbelief at what he's just done. Yeah, the high knees. High knees, that's right, high knees. Like he's on fire himself, which he might as well have been. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. And you can see he's making the noise that we all make. You know, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's got his mouth open. Ooh! And it's, it's like incredible. that takes us into half time. Like that's mm. the last, that's right at the end of the half, which is almost an incredible thing in and of itself that that's how it comes down. You end on that high. I will add as well, uh, I do think that Nigel Starmer Smith's line of commentary here, where he goes, Nguenya has left Brian Habana for dead. I think that's a really well yeah. kind of enunciated line of commentary because it just, it really emphasizes just what we have just seen but as you say and, uh, that's half time and you get to you know if you're watching this live you get to linger on that for 10 minutes the fact that brian abanish has been dusted that's it i think sometimes to come back to that dear commentary like some there is really something to be said for just being simple for just saying the simple yeah. thing because actually he could have said the best line in the world but would it have been as impactful as just saying actually no this is what's happened this winger that a lot of the people watching hadn't heard of has just burned the best winger on the planet. And you're right. So often that's the nice thing is you, you know, you prepare all the facts and stats, but the the audio, you just go with what you see, you know, which is great. Mm. So that's why, you know, that's why I say like in 15s, I might in a test match, I'll have one line in my back pocket, right? You don't, you don't want to have too many lines up things. So the rest of it is natural and flowing. And if that fits for that line, that's kind of great. Um, but it's so, it, it, commentary is so important and you don't, you know, think of it as much. Uh, mm. that you know the action must match the excitement as well so sometimes when you see commentators that just 
talk it, you know, and don't get that excited. I'm like, hey, that was a big moment. You can pump it up because that player may never do that again or that mm. country may never score again. And so even if, you know, Namibia score one try in their first World Cup game, that is to be celebrated of note because it's a, a massive yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. man. The idea of what is success for that nation and speaking according to that. Um, the second half, I think, is less... What is frustrating... Mm. Go on. Sorry. Yeah. What I was going to say, what is frustrating about this is that this try is the filling in a Habana try sandwich because the first try of the second half is again Habana. And again, just look at that and just go, boring. No one cares, Habana. But well, you are man. You would if you had. Um, All right. All right. No. Yeah. But Habana is visibly pissed off after that, which I think is why it's it is. so great. I think if he'd kind of like, like, I saw, I remember Chris Ashton doing this, being beaten on the outside by a youngster and just kind of laughing it off and being like, oh, you know, and there's a few players that would do that. Habana is furious about that because he's so competitive. And I think that's that adds a layer to it. And the fact that he then comes out and scores immediately after half time, and I try far more work to do, and he takes it incredibly well. Um, yeah. But it kind of sits the narrative, I think. Um, it's a really clean, lovely try, a couple of nice yeah. offloads. South Africa overload the blind side. Um, Butch James, lo- lovely flat pass for Habana here mm. as well. Uh, and as you say, a really nice finish that it takes a very quick man to score. It needs to be said. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. And, and as you said, like you could see how pissed he is. He scores, he dives, he runs straight back. It's like there's no high fives. There's no, and he's no sm- not smiling because he knows what has just happened before. Uh, but 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 it was interesting also the way South Africa manipulated the space, were able to get wide. There were never really moments where in those where Nagrenya and Habana were one on one again because Nagrenya mm. had to fill in and yeah. catch the people before, like Percy joined the line, whoever it was. So it just shows you, you know, they're basically an extra player free, um, so creative to be able to unlock the D there. Yeah, and you do you go into half time having had that just happen, and your entire talk, even though you're ahead, quite solidly becomes how do we prevent that winger being involved it's true he is both absolutely well no he is absolutely rapid and that is both a danger well both sides of the ball um and he i think defends generally well but in the second half south africa is suddenly trying to pin stuff on him and attack him and hence this havana try um and we see you know some movement as well in that lead up to the the, you know speaking people are very fast cj van der linde yes yes he scores a try the kind of run that is always described as bullocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hot, yeah. And that's where you don't want to be. You don't want to be standing there and you've got this water buffalo running at you. You've got to try <laughs> bring down. Um, but also, I think it was at that try where Jean Smith had a really nice pass off the deck. Uh, yeah, just, with a little pirouette. Like, yeah, a little pirouette, a little flick. Um, and then you got, you know, Thunder Linda coming down on you. Good luck stopping that. Yeah, everyone suddenly just goes, nope, your man. I think it's Chad Erskine was like lining stuff up going, I can probably just about take Juan Smith. That's all right. Then sees him yeah. tumble the deck and go, oh no, CJ's a bit too much for me. It comes from a quick tap as well, which I think is the only one that this South Africa team took in the entire World Cup. <laughs> it just shows how different their approach to this game was. But also, I think, the way that they've gone, okay, we need to put this all behind us. The fact the USA got a big crowd moment and just try and make this about ourselves and keep the momentum yeah. up and just keep don't worry about the scoreboard let's keep the tempo up and let's keep the momentum up and let's make this game about us again you know let's just be in control of this even if we're not even if the right option is to go for the corner and use our you know unbelievable mall yeah no they 
they just focus on actually just being in control of the game, just having that kind of run of momentum. You say that though. Kind of the next try, the next try scored by Chris Wilds. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so I call so, I call Chris Wilds Shrek. By the way, that was his nickname on the Sevens tours because you know he had a very block square you know body shape and head as well, mm. and I thought he looked like the Green Monster Shrek. He doesn't like the nickname, <laughs> by the way, so um, so don't call him that. Okay, we won't tell so, anyone or like, broadcast it on a podcast anywhere or anything like that. <laughs> so Chris oh, Wells of this yeah. era looked like yeah. he, <laughs> Chris Wells of this era looked like he hosts a prank show, like <laughs> in the late noughties, like some sort of like sub jackass. So he's like, "I'm Chris Wells, and you've been eagled," and like he'd pop up and like surprise grannies and make them fall over and drop their shopping, or he'd like throw guns on people. Like, he'd do really lame pranks. That's, like, the vibe I was getting off this era of Chris Wiles. Yeah, so he was he was, he was was my first roommate on the Seven series, So, <laughs> which is cool. He came out of nowhere, and he was, like, with this English accent. I was like, okay, well, who are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was actually, I think I was born in Stamford, Connecticut, and then I went to the UK, and, and there, I lived there the rest of my life. I was like, okay, great that you qualify and stuff like that. So we became great, great friends and stuff like that. Wonderful skilled player. Uh, just he's an mm. ultimate competitor as well. And um, and and you can see even Chris when he scores, he smiles, but he's like, we're we're being beaten quite badly here. So mm. even you know, even though that's a great moment to score in a World Cup, score against South Africa, uh, he's uh, he's he's all business. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I have a plan. It's his first international try. Chris Wells is a player as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hell of a player, hell of a career, and yeah, just by all accounts, like a great guy as well. Uh, yes. Did not have a prank show on late noughties TV. <laughs> that was a rumor started by me, and I apologize. But he does look about eleven years old here, like looking yeah. at yeah, tiny Chris yeah. Wiles uh, in I his think early it's his days. Hair. I think he just yeah. has like benevolent hair. Yes, it is Delicious the hair. And he, had a few, he, tr- he tried a few different styles over the time. But hang on, I, I love that he's like, you know, currently, you know, Wolfpack Lager, bringing people yeah. together. A lot of these rugby people come together. And as you said, John Smith was there the other day um, and, and come sink a few pints. Uh, it's really cool. And and he was always one player, I will say, that I really respected in that, not only his work ethic and, and how good he was on the mm. field and, and dedicated, he was always looking ahead. He said, okay, my goal is to play 10 years in the premiership and then I want to make sure I, I, I have some sort of business that I can establish. So he was always thinking, he smashed a lot that. Of players, <laughs> yeah, he smashed that. Well, a lot of players are just, you know, focusing on their playing time, don't necessarily look at exit strategy. And he was always, always good with that. So uh, oh, I love fantastic. the social media he puts out as well. Yeah, so top man. Oh, what a guy, mm. what a guy. And his try as well. Let's t- we'll yeah. talk about it as well because USA yeah. rumbling up for yeah, quite a few try. phases, picking and going and stuff. And then they eventually go back to the blind side. Herkus goes, just gives a really nice early ball, doesn't mess about at all. Um, and it's a really good finish by Wilds because he's being tackled well by Ndungani and he kind of spins around and manages to get the ball down just about. Um, and yeah, it's a really nicely taken try, what do yeah. you say? Yeah, fantastic finish. Showed everything he can do. Was it kind of fitting first test try for the player he was? Yes. In it's technically exceptional. Show, takes real skill. Um, and like maybe it's not a Shane Williams or Sarevi kind of solo burst, but like it's incredibly impressive and incredibly good. Hang on, Dallin's about to tell us he wants to get a step by Shane Williams. No, he's, like, <laughs> no, he's yeah, he, he's got some great highlights. I tell you what, that's when that's the moment where you pull a hamstring. You're just like, oh, my hamstring is injured <laughs> as he gets position. So at least you you can't people are like, oh, Shane, he didn't round him because that guy was injured. There we go. There we go. Yeah. You're bulletproof if you pulled a hammy. 
Um, for the Prius scores a try. Tell you what, everything I ever did on rugby pitch, I pulled a hammy right beforehand. If it's anyone true. asks, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, for for the Prius, he scores. Um, yeah, the Springboks just have really good shape around him. Matt Field does a fantastic dummy run. Um, as does Tony Spreadbury, runs a great blocking line uh, when Dupree kind of picks, arcs to the side a little bit, has a little snipe and runs under the sticks. Yeah, it was very Justin yeah. Vesteisen-like. The, 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 the very going. And, and, yeah, and I'll, and I'll say for Rita Prey, by the way, who had a stunning game against England in the in the prior pool game yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, just one of the best scrum offs that Africa's ever had. Uh, I mean, he just, his skill the level. Is, ever had. Yeah. In the world, exactly. His skill level is ridiculous. The consistency he can keep, you know, feeding his backline. But then when the moment is on, take it and go himself as well. You yeah. know, it's, it's always fascinating to see see if Scum off just dominate like that when he wants to. And so he was like, okay, enough for everybody else. It's my turn to go. Gap open up. I'm in. It's one thing I love about Fauri Dupree, and I think it's partly, I can say the same of um, Jameson Gibson Park these days, that you never accept, expect him to snipe. You always think he's going to kick or pass or whatever because he does it so rarely. And then when when he eventually does, he makes someone look like a fool, you know? And that's yeah. exactly what happens here, even if the person he made look fool was Tony Spreadbury. But still. <laughs> I'm aware that a lot of this podcast, going back previous episodes, is me wanking over Fauri Dupree. And oh, fact, me too. I, yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, he is brilliant again in this game. Um, it's perhaps lower pressure than that England game where he was basically unplayable. <laughs> and like, you know, we had four people on for that and all of us gave Fauri Dupree the man of the match. Yeah, like, <laughs> unequivalently. just like, yeah, he just like, there was no one else in contention for anyone. Um, yeah. And he's not that level of good because that was one of the best performances I've ever seen by a scrum off in my life. But... He show he's very much the same player, you know. You, yeah. There's the same DNA through this, but on a a level in which he's perhaps not needing to fire on all cylinders. He's still exceptional every time he's involved. He just has a real a minus throughout. Plays yeah. eighty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's an A minus rather than an A plus. Now imagine being the player behind him, right? So that's always interesting when you have you know a great you know like mm. you look at that team and obviously you have got Victor Madfield in the lock as well and. A bunch of other brilliant players. If you're a player behind somebody like that, hit, let's say, really gets injured and is on fire, it must be, you know, so frustrating because in that era, you're like, oh well, I'm stuck behind Freda Prep, and I'm, I probably will get on yeah. for you know ten minutes or so every game, but I really can't get a chance to develop my game internationally because of this star that's ahead of me. Yeah, yeah. honestly, so like... you had you know, Ruben Pinar comes on. Yeah, ends up yeah. moving to fly half for a period, even though he's very much a scrum half either side of that. Had a year or two of the fly half. Ricky January also in the squad in this World Cup, and yeah, right. Ricky January yeah. was a brilliant player and widely yeah. beloved everywhere he went, including all clubs in France, which he was touring before deciding to eventually pack it in at the age of about fifty six, about three months ago. Wow. Ron Pinar's a hell of has a hell of a yeah. game here as well, doesn't he? When he comes on, like he plays like mm. twenty minutes. Oh, he's a, he's unbelievable. He's yeah, so he plays good. Like Fifteen minutes, and he's just every touch. He's just utter class because he was. He was just you know another player that we've wanked over a lot in previous episodes. Sure, sure. But he is superb um, and, and just shows his full range of skills because he was more than just a scrum half who could kick goals. Yeah, you know he was the full package, and he shows it here really very much. Look, and one of those players, I think, like had a hell of a club career didn't perhaps get the range of games to the spring box that he could have to show what he did yeah. and so when you do get these moments it's very much appreciated it's you know it's yeah, great true. to see now, Rob, someone now, now robbie were you were you a scrum off in your time because you're talking a lot about the halfbacks 
Uh, no, I mean, Will was. I was a fullback. Uh, okay. Was? I still um, am. <laughs> Will Will is. Uh, yeah, but, you know, your glory days yeah. are behind you. Uh, no, I was a fullback who couldn't <laughs> tackle. Um, I tried playing scrum off once. I threw one bad pass, and the coach went, no, stick to the wing. Stick to the wing, your fullback. Nice. Yeah, the, uh, Florida Pre is essentially my favourite scrum off of all time. Um, yeah. And it's so underwhelming every time I play rugby and go, like, that's the bar I'm trying to set myself. At third team level, uh, amateur level, you know, it's oh, hanging. Um, and look, speaking of Ron Pienaar, I, I don't mind if we do these last few tri- tries out of order, right? But the try he sets up for Joanne Smith is fantastic, where the box get the turnover, he hits the line, seemingly runs half the length, no, the width of the field, mm. rather, um, and does a one-two with J.P. Peterson. and But like on the return ball he gets he just flicks it straight back on the inside and just his skill level is just next level yeah it is amazing to see you know also the versatility as you said playing scrum off laugh as well but in open play i mean so many great skills uh with uh ron pinai and he ended up obviously having a long long career after this as well remarkable yeah. remarkable um, no um, so jock free oh, the other four he gets those two tries both of which incredibly well taken, yes. both of which is Jacques Free at his best, hitting lines, running support, running superb angles, being like an underrated level of physical. Um, it's just like both of them are kind of just vintage Jacques Free. Yeah. Obviously, we looked at the second one with the, the burger run, but I think the mm. um, the first one with the, the Peterson break is sublime. It's on first phase, uh, Peterson running an inside ball, linking up with Franz Stein. And Franz Stein, like, he must have the ball in his hand for about 0.01 seconds here <laughs> as he elevates it into the air for Faree to run onto. And once again, like, Faree has the ball in his hands for such a short period of time while he makes the decision to dummy that, executing that two-on-one under pressure is just sublime. Yeah, Joffrey's yeah. definitely one of my favourite outside centres and um, mm. because of that, because his ability just to glide in and make it look so easy. But that whole South African, as you said, the back line with, with Scott Berger getting involved, the offloads were fantastic because as a defensive side, it's so hard to regather and to cover when player hits the deck, keeps offloading. There's a runner coming onto it. It just keeps happening the whole time. Uh, and again, with this USA side, they had defended for so long. Uh, you knew you knew these tries were just going to come thick and fast as, as the time came through. And Doc Free, what, what a start. Yeah. I think that's all the tries think... covered, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I want to have a quick word for we've spoken about Mike Kirkus who makes a clean break with like five minutes left uh, mm. and does this lovely like flip pass out the back to Owen Lentz who I think was brilliant in the second yeah. half came yeah. up with a jackal turnover tap and go himself made a break on a switch was getting in support all the time I just want to have a word for him because I think he was fantastic yeah o- Owen another Lentz player also... who fits the yeah I think another fits the, the Dallin mould of American adopted South African. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Yeah, and, and had a good chat with him quite a few times. Just a lovely, lovely mm. human. Um, but was so great. They, I think it, some of their tactics seemed to be around the breakdown. They were attacking up the middle, and a couple of times it worked really nicely. And Owen Lynch was, uh, you know, capitalizing off that. So he had a hell of a game. He definitely stood out for me, as you said. We we spoke a bit about about Hercus um, and Nguyen's great moment. But in the forward pack, Lynch just such a hardworking player. Kind of like a bit of a center, if you will, when he breaks free, running with ball mm. in two hands, ready to rumble, yeah. smashing it up. So yeah, he was he was, he was a, go, a go for guy. I can see why uh, he was definitely one of one of the USA's top eagles. Yeah, like the Dane Coles mold, but like you know, a few years old yeah. uh, earlier, wasn't he? I really like him. Yeah. I think he's had a really good tournament. 
And I think that leads us quite neatly onto the man of the match. Because um, I think Lentz like, deserves an honourable mention. Definitely. As does Alec Parker as well. I think the two of them work incredibly hard. Louis Stanfield, I think, as well, who's also had an underrated World Cup, I think has been fantastic here. And obviously goes on to have a really good career, plays another two World Cups after this. Yeah. But I think this is, you know, 2011, I think he's great as well. Um, and I'm excited to watch 2015 back someday and see if he's, you know, you know, lives up to these as well. Because um, I don't remember much of him at the time back then. I remember he was playing, but I don't, you know, yeah. wasn't paying as much attention to have in this World Cup where he's been fantastic. Um, Mike Hercus as well on the USA end. And then Nguyen, yeah, you kind of have to mention for the moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, for me, if I'm going to, you know, uh, go first, um, I think Man of the Match comes down to two names with Jacques Free also deserving a mention. John Schmidt as well. Actually, John Schmidt plays really well. Yeah. Um, plays 80 minutes as well, which these days is rare. Uh, gets moved over to prop so that Bismarck can come on and play hooker. Um, when Oz Duran goes for his little lie down and the meat pie, good on him. Um, I think for me, Man of the match lands between Forward Dupreya, who is excellent, but I think I'm going to give it to Schockberger, um, who is rampaging and all over the place and shows the kind of form that Dallin, I do not at all envy the fact that you have at any point tried to tackle him. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go next. I agree with you. It, it was the blonde bombshell just all over the place, smashing people. Uh, on the USA side, I mean, Hercus has been mentioned. Todd Clever, I thought, had a very good game as well, mm. just to kind yeah. of, you know, Keep that defensive pressure up and obviously ball in hand. Mm. Um, Lentz was excellent. Yeah, on South Africa's side, because, you know, they spread the ball around so much. So many people got involved with so many different moments. Um, and, uh, I mean, Burger is so hard to look past because not only did attackers try to run at him and he just smoked people back and forth, but he carried so well in the wide channels, in the narrow channels, just put his body on the line. I, I think Scott Burger is definitely, uh, he's, he's the, the quacker burger of note to definitely go for, <laughs> for there. Uh, he also gets gets my pick. And uh, I still I still have nightmares of his his blonde hair waving in the wind and just getting cut in half. <laughs> Man, do not envy you at all. Do not envy you at all. Um, yeah, I think that Berger is is the obvious one, isn't he? I think um, as you've both alluded to, Owen Lentz, fantastic. Mike Herkus, as you said, empty the tank. Uh, Zian Gwenya has his moment, and I think the two South Africa that really, really stand out are Skulk Berger and Jacques Ferry as well. Um, and so I'm currently toying with my options whether to uh, just split the difference just for the sake of it and go with Ferry. So instead, I'm going to say my man of the match is Zian Gwenya because I want to give him his moment because he is who this game is about. Uh, and I think he was genuinely really good, like, aside from that try. And look, obviously Skulk Berger was the best player on the field, but in the spirit of what we're doing, I'm going to give it to Zian Gwenya. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going Zina Gwenya as well. Done, done. Two Z votes. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can give Dallin two votes, Robbie. (laughs) Okay. Loves to be in Portugal because he's from both South Africa and America. I reckon you can have both. That's right. Thank you. Um, One vote for either. Dick Dick of the day. day. Will, do you want to go first? You look like you're bursting. Yeah, I'll go first. I'll go first. Because, I mean... On one hand, it could be Fauri Dupriya for the fact that he wasn't, he somehow wasn't man of the match. That like, <laughs> none of us give him, a, that usually he's by such a distance the best player on the pitch that you have to give him man of the match. But this time, oh, he was only up. like, he was only like one of the top 10 players on the pitch, you know. Um, but instead, my dick of the day was Brian Habana for scoring two tries. Like, mate, why are you trying to make this about you? 
This is obviously in Gwenya's day. Wow, wow. Well, okay, so say, saying that, there was that moment where, um, what I forget what minute that happened in the game where the kick went over, Habana chased, and then collided heads with Takuna Gwenya. So mm. I feel like he was really angry. He's really angry going his opposite number there. So you're <laughs> right, he tried try to get one back. They both are bloody. So did you notice though, that Habana went off the field and Taku stayed on the field? There we go, there we mm. go. Do you think Tucker was slow in the turn um, when the kick went over? Or... And also, my Wait. other reason for giving Habana a dick of the day is because I've not met him. Yes. And, yeah, no, I, I, yeah I, and again, I'm not saying he gets the award because, I, because I, I'm not, I'm not going to give the award out. I can't. Like You said Blaine Scully was only before he didn't give it out either. Um, but that, that was fair. definitely a, a, a funny moment that we, you, you could shred uh, Habana about. <laughs> what about Berger for putting you on your ass when you were a, a teenager? Hey, no, that was that was imp- what Butch James. I'm giving it to Butch James for that tackle at the University of Cape Town many yes. many years ago. Oh, the he ref. Didn't need to, yeah, he didn't need to smoke me. I mean, I'm like, as I said, 80 kilograms sopping wet. I would have just if he could have just handed me off, <laughs> I would have fallen over. But he decided to go full Butch, and uh, I, I almost yeah. went out. Or oh, the, the ref for not penalising Butch James yeah. for um, exactly. you know, decapitating you. God, tell you what, Todd Clever did it for you though. Todd Clever did that handoff just for you. <laughs> so look, okay, I. I uh, also struggle to pick a deck of the day because I think it's just quite a fun game with both teams having a laugh. Um, yeah. But I did, when just glancing over the teams, right, the TMO for this game was a guy called Malcolm Changeling. <laughs> and here's the thing. I reckon if Malcolm Changeling, who it turns out right, has an identical twin brother called David Changeling, who's also a referee, um, if he had gone on to become a more successful TMO, Malcolm Changeling could have become a good nickname for the TMO because he's coming in and making these changes, isn't he? He's changing the referee's decision. You could have, oh, we're going up to the Malcolm Changeling, we're going up to the Malcolm. And for the fact that he didn't have a more prosperous TMO in career, I'm giving my dick of the day to TMO Malcolm Changeling, who I can't remember if he gets involved at any point during this game. I don't think he does. And uh, what would you do if I told you he was... Because he was stuck. What would you do if I told you it was Changeling? Patterson. No, it's Changeling. Okay, it's Changeling. I've decided now. You can't change so that, good. can you? No, that's great. And that's where the commentators can have fun with that, right? When you, you've got a name like that, you <laughs> yeah. can have a few chirps in the bunker. He took up refereeing because his local club, he was stuck behind Chris Patterson, which that's hard going, you know? You can't get into the team for the guy who's going to hold the fullback shirt for your nation for 10 years. It's fair enough. Right, okay. So that brings us, that brings the curtain down. Dallin, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? Where will people be hearing your voice over the coming couple of months? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you so much. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Will, for having me on. Uh, so honored to be here. Um, yes, people can find me uh, on social media at Dallin Stanford, and that's D-A-L-L-E-N, and then Stanford, like university. And then at the 11, I'll do 11 pool games uh, uh, for the, the Rugby World Cup, which is exciting. As I said, opening up with... Uh, England, Argentina, South Africa, Scotland. And then a, a big one in in, uh, in Paris for me is the Ireland South Africa game. So that's going to be really fascinating to see how that one goes as mm. well. Um, I do get, yeah, I do get to do a France game against Namibia. So that's always beautiful oh, nice. to do the home country. And uh, and then um, England, Japan. Be interesting to see how Japan go with that one as well. Uh, and then a, the ha- a handful of other games as well to include other nations to spread around. But yes, thrilled to be there. Look forward if, to meeting up with you too if we can. And yeah. uh, it's it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be as tight as a facelift, the Thrive World Cup. 
Oh, dude, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on here. This has been as fun a chat as I envisaged it would be. As I say, I'm such a big fan of your commentary. And I think that, you know, there's you and so many amazing people around you really elevate the likes of MLR and other co- sort of tournaments that you do commentate on. So it's been a sheer privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, mean, I want to echo everything Will just said, and I said at the beginning when I kind of stumbled over eulogizing you. No, just it's an enormous pleasure to have you on. Thank you for doing this. Uh, also, thank you to Will, and thank you to everyone that's listened. I would like to invite everyone, because after years of this being the retrospective, we're going to pause this 2007 series until after the World Cup, come back and do the knockouts later, come back and do those games. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens between France and New Zealand in 2007. Probably not a famous game involving Thierry Dusatois. Doubt it. Doubt it. Instead, we're going to make the World Cup contemporary podcast for just the spell of the World Cup. That's the plan. That'll be coming very soon. We're basically going to record whilst dawdling around France. And Dallin, we'd love to have you back at some point. Uh, we reckon we can do this in more formal means out there. Um, Will, I'm excited to see you there. There's going to be bloody... so. There's so much of France. Like I've been wandering around so much of it. And we'll see you all very soon for that thank you Dallin thank you Will thank you everybody else good night good, well, good morning night. if you're you know in the United well, good afternoon. Uh, States wherever you are we're not <laughs>